Moving forward together, part 12. I need to give you a little bit of background of what we've studied thus far in order for today's sermon to be meaningful to you. When we started this series, we looked at the theology of together. And we discovered that heaven is built around the concept. Before time began, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost were together. The angels were created. They were together. Adam was alone for only a few hours, and Eve was created, and they were together. Heaven's principles of togetherness are based on community. What you have in common held in unity, community. And we looked at moving forward together with God, and we talked about worship, and we learned that the Greek word translated into the English word worship is proskuneo, which means to kiss. And so worship is expressions from us towards God, and God's expressions of Himself towards us. It's very intimate, very close, and very enduring. Then we learned moving forward together, together, we began talking about the church, and we talked about what it meant to be together in the church, how the church dealt with fear, how the church encouraged one another, how the church helped each other. And then a couple sermons ago, we transitioned and we began talking about being together, together, and how the church dealt with money, with offerings. We studied about Ananias and Sapphira. And then last week, we looked at the concept of offerings in the New Testament. We studied Paul's comments about giving and realized they are primarily all about the same offering. There was an offering that took a number of years to do and was probably done several times, but it was always for the purpose of relieving the suffering of the believers back in Jerusalem. So the offering that Paul writes about in Romans, that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and in the book of Acts, it's all the same offering. And that offering was to relieve human suffering, and particularly the, the suffering going on in Jerusalem that was being inflicted upon those who believed in Christ. So the churches gave to that relief. They believed in the cause, they trusted the leadership, and they knew there was accountability. It was a safe offering to give. And we learned that the local church is here to relieve human suffering. Leading people to Christ relieves human suffering. Giving people wisdom, courage, and hope, understanding, purpose, and a reason to live relieves people of human suffering. Helping people to be better people relieves human suffering. Being a better spouse, a better parent, or a better child relieves human suffering. The church is a place where people come seeking healing physically, emotionally, spiritually, in relationships. And we learn that as we gather together and we pray and encourage one another and pray for one another, it relieves human suffering. Lives are being changed as people grow in 
the Lord and grow with the Lord. I have challenged the church board, and someday I'm going to line them up right across here, and they're going to give a testimony. And here's what the challenge is. I've challenged them to prove why they or their ministry should receive any money from your offerings. They must be able to demonstrate that human suffering is being relieved, that lives are changing, and people are growing with God. Then we are worthy of your offerings. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're studying today. In Paul's writings, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9 deal with offering. He gives examples, two examples in chapter 8, why to give. He gives a purpose for giving. He gives policies in giving, a readiness to give, principles in giving, promises from giving. All these things are addressed here, but all these, mind you, are talking about that offering to relieve the suffering of the believers back in Jerusalem. They're all talking about the same thing. And what happened is that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, and a year later he wrote 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, they promised they were going to give to this relief effort. Apparently, they haven't followed through. So Paul is telling him, come on, let's pick it up. Let's get going. Follow through with what you promised. And he's going to use here in our study today, the example of the churches of Macedonia as a reason for the Corinthians to give their offering. So let's read verses 1 through 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave excuse me, but first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. So Paul talks about the churches in Macedonia. Macedonia is in the northern region of Greece. So let's look at verse 2. He says, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. It wasn't easy, he was saying. Yet, with joy, they gave liberally. They enjoyed giving. These people intrigue me. How many of you work hard for your money? Do you believe there would be joy in giving it away? I'm skeptical. Always have been ever since I started earning my own money. Joy in giving it away? Can't the other people work? Can't they sacrifice like me? 
Can't they keep a budget like I do? Joy in giving? What is going on in these people's hearts that gives them a joy in giving? Look at verses 3 and 4. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. This thing that they're doing is an act of fellowship. They wanted to help others who were seeking to walk with the Lord. They had brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem who were suffering because of a famine. They were suffering because of the persecution that had broken out against Christianity. Why would they even consider doing that? Well, because they felt that they would never have come to know Christ as their Savior if it weren't for the believers back in Jerusalem. And they're absolutely right. And so to support those people in Jerusalem who had given what they could in order for these folks over here to hear the gospel, they freely gave, urgently gave, pressed it upon the Apostle Paul. Please take it, take it. It gives me great joy to support a brother or sister in Christ who is suffering. Let me relieve some of their suffering. Well, let's go on. Verse 5. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. The offerings were given because they had given themselves to, to the Lord. The offerings were an offering to God. They were not doing this from duty. They had given themselves to God and they looked for ways to serve God. They were giving themselves in their gifts. Why would they do that? Because love is always extravagant. Love can't be railed in logically. Love causes people to do more for someone than that person expects because then the person doing that feels like they're really showing love. These folks consider the brethren back in Jerusalem who are suffering to be more than just people. They are associated in a way that is closer than people are. Here's how. In the New Testament, when the concept of brethren or brothers in Christ is used, in the Greek, when you parse that word, when you look at it, it simply means those born of the same womb. Born of the same womb. Now, how could somebody living in Macedonia who was raised there be born of the same womb of somebody in Jerusalem who was raised there. The womb is Christ. They were born again in Jesus. That's how close they felt it. It was like a biological connection to them even though it was spiritual. Those are the brethren. We are in one body together. This is my brother over there. That's my sister over there. Those are my children over there. They are suffering and they lovingly gave to relieve 
human suffering because first they gave themselves to God and as an act of love to God they loved humanity that's how it works and they gave with great joy now I've mentioned to you that when we read the Bible our goal is to understand what it meant to the people back then so we can take those principles and apply them to our day now. So what are the principles here? First of all, note this. Who was the offering for? Believers. The offering was for believers who were suffering, who needed deliverance from human suffering. How do we apply that today? How would we take the New Testament scriptures about offerings and apply that principle today? Let me give you a for instance. What if the church took care of its own people? What if the church really followed this and they sought to relieve the suffering of the people who were seeking to serve God? Go back in your mind decades, 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 and decades and seek to add up all the millions and tens and hundreds of millions of dollars that has been spent trying to get people who aren't believers to become believers. Would anything be different if in the last 60 years, instead of spending all the money on that, we used the money to keep the ones we already had? Let me give you an example. Christian education. I have a grandson who attends a Christian school here in the community. He's six years old, and he knew I was going to talk about him today. He may have left already. No, he's there. Is that you, Connor? All right. You want to stand up so everybody knows who you are? That's him. Isn't he handsome? Yeah, you can sit down now. <laughs> now, his mom and dad are willing to pay for him to have a Christian education. It's not cheap. And they have to sacrifice some things in their lives to do that. But let me tell you what's happened to this kindergartner since he's been attending. I get to spend time with him nearly every week and hours at a time. And I have discovered that since he started going to school in August, he's now singing all kinds of songs about God. He can pray better than some adults I know. He's always telling stories that he's learning about Jesus, and he has declared uncategorically he wants to go to heaven. Now, what do you think that is worth? What do you think that is worth? This week, 
I was having Bible studies with a family. And the reason I'm having Bible studies with that family is because they have two young children that are in a Christian school here in the area. And those children were coming home singing songs about God. They were praying. They were telling stories about the Bible, and they were declaring they want to go to heaven. The parents asked me to teach them the Bible so they could converse with their children. The kids are ahead of them. The kids know more of the stories. And so this family said to me, can you help us? Where are these stories found? We want to read them so we can talk to our children. Now, I was with them this week. And I watched their faces grow so sad. And their eyes tear up as they told me there's been a situation a change in their lives and next year those children cannot go to Christian school anymore and they're thinking in their mind instead of the children coming home singing songs about the Bible praying and telling stories about Jesus and wanting to go to heaven they will be in an environment where they're not even allowed to talk about God and these parents, you talk about suffering. Imagine any parent, and there may be some here today, who go to bed at night with this tremendous guilt because they simply cannot afford to have their children receiving Christian education. And they know what is happening in the lives of those children in the public schools, and they're wanting their kids to sing songs about God, to talk about Jesus, to pray, and to want to go to heaven. You talk about relieving human suffering. What about this? How many of you know there's a worthy student fund here at the church? What would it be like, friends? If we followed the New Testament model and said, we're going to take care of our own. What would this church be like if every child K through high school was in a Christian school? What would it be like? What would it do for them? What would it do for their families? What would it do for the church? I want, I want you to think about this long and hard. I want you to consider people born of the same womb spiritually. I want you to look around and tell me which of the children in this church you're willing to not see in a Christian school. I want you to identify the ones that you think are unworthy. You will not find one. You could not make that decision. But you certainly could say, they're all worthy to be exposed. To God. They're all worthy 
to sit in the light and let that light become life to them through Christ. So I have a challenge. If we were to apply the biblical principles today, our offerings would be to relieve human suffering. They would be acts of love from our hearts. First it would be love for God, then it would be love for our fellow, her, fellow humans. So here's my challenge. Let's pray and let's do something between now and next fall. Let's make sure we as a church family have done everything we could to make sure that every child in this church is in Christian education. Do you think God would be happy if we tried to do that? Do you think it would please the Lord? Listen, folks, the Adventist church has a lot to offer, but bar none, the best thing they have to offer is Christian education. It's the best thing they've got to offer. Let's seek to relieve human suffering. Contribute to God in an act of love and put his children in a place where he can reach them the best way possibly.